NPR. I love museums. These places that condense tens or hundreds of years of human history into these potent little bite-sized bits. And while there are lots of museums about art and science and history, there are hardly any museums dedicated to another subject that I love, which is, of course, economics. Why is that? I think it's partly that the economy is actually kind of abstract and kind of complicated. That's Tim Harford, friend of the show, host of the Cautionary Tales podcast, and a writer of a column at the Financial Times called Undercover Economist. Dinosaur museums have dinosaurs. Museums of technology have hunks of metal, computers, that kind of thing. But what would you actually put in a museum of the economy? Yeah, like what exhibits or objects would make econ less abstract and actually have the visual wow factor of the best museums? Tim pondered this question in one of his recent columns, And we loved it so much that we asked him on the show to talk about what he would put in his dream museum of the economy. We also asked our listeners and got some great ideas. So get your tickets ready, because that's all coming up after the break. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This message comes from NPR sponsor E-Trade from Morgan Stanley. Take control of your financial future with E-Trade. No matter what kind of investor you are, their tools and resources can help you be ready for what's next. Now when you open an account, you can get up to $1,000 with a qualifying deposit. Terms apply. Learn more at etrade.com slash NPR. Investing involves risks. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney LLC. Member SIPC. E-Trade is a business of Morgan Stanley. So according to Tim Harford, the big challenge of making a museum of the economy is that economics can be really abstract. So that is part of the problem. You can show people uh, notes and coins. You can show people gold. But can you show them, I don't know, equilibrium? Can you show them supply and demand? Can you show them technological progress? Can you show them externalities? Not so easy. And can you show it to them with like, the visual impact of a giant T-Rex skeleton. Exactly. That's the challenge. Okay, so let's talk about that. Take us inside your imagination. We're going into your museum of the economy. We walk in. What do we see first? Okay, I think you've got to have a, a big wow exhibit in the main hall, something that will really capture the imagination. And I think I would go for a steam locomotive. I mean, if you've been up close to a steam locomotive, they are truly awesome objects. But then that gets into some interesting uh, questions about how you run a railway, the investment required to build a railway, and in particular, financial manias. Right. In the financial world, a mania is like a, a bubble where the price of a thing grows way beyond its intrinsic value. Yeah. The, the 1840s, the railway mania in the UK was huge. It's probably the largest Uh, technology-driven mania that has ever existed, even bigger than, for example, the the dot-com 
mania. Even though the railways themselves were economically transformative, it was still financially ruinous. They, people just lost their shirts. So there's a lot there that you could unpack, but you begin with this absolutely gigantic object. I love it. Okay, uh, so we walk in, we see this giant locomotive, we learn all about financial manias. Uh, then we turn to the left or we turn to the right. What do we see next? So on the right, you have this, it's about the size of a really large refrigerator, this vast perspex cabinet full of coloured water, all kinds of different pipes. It looks almost like a water park for hamsters. And on the <laughs> left, you've got something that is uh, roughly the size of a shoebox, and it looks as though it's been covered in a yellow butter icing by an incredibly drunk chef. Which one do you want to hear about first? <laughs> oh, man, that's such a hard decision. Okay, I think water... You had me at water park for hamsters. Okay, the water park for hamsters is called the uh, Moniac. It is a hydraulic computer. Like a computer that runs on liquid? On water. So the calculations are performed by the flow of water. So you, if you could imagine all, all those differential equations that economists write down with all the, all the squiggles and the swirls to say this is what's going to happen to the economy, this is economic equilibrium, this is where supply equals demand. They didn't have digital computers that could solve this sort of problem. Right. The Moniac was built shortly after the Second World War by a New Zealand economist called Bill Phillips, who was very famous for an idea called the Phillips Curve, which is possibly the most cited idea in, in macroeconomics. This idea that unemployment and inflation have an inverse relationship. Yeah, but he also built this hydraulic computer, and he partly built it out of um, scrap from windows of bomber aircraft. And it works. It's not only an amazing calculating device, it's an amazing demonstration because you can see these tanks are labelled with things like uh, savings or consumer demand. You can actually see the water flowing around and you can say, right, we're going to change the tax rate and we're going to change the interest rate. And as the water pours around, then the levels in these tanks adjust themselves in order to find a new equilibrium. Okay, that sounds incredible. Uh, but okay, so we have to turn around. We go to that other exhibit that you mentioned, the one that looks like a, uh, a shoebox covered in frosting by a drunk chef. So what are we looking at? A handmade toaster. Hmm. It was made by a design student, Thomas Thwaites, about 15 years ago. He set himself the task of, what if I built a toaster absolutely from scratch? The copper from the toaster he got from... Water from a copper mine. Uh, iron, he managed to smelt iron in a microwave. That sounds very safe. Oh, none of this is safe. Don't do any of this at home. <laughs> and the, the thing doesn't work, right? I mean, it will not actually safely make you toast. In fact, it won't even unsafely make you toast. If you plug it into a, enough power to actually make toast, the thing catches fire. Uh -huh. So at the time Thomas Thwaites built his toaster, you could buy one of these in the British equivalent of uh, Walmart for about $5. Thwaites' version cost more than $1,000 and took him nearly a year to make. And the point that Thwaites was exploring was our alienation from the economic processes that produce consumer goods for us. So some people say, oh, isn't, isn't it terrible? We're so kind of disconnected and this is bad. Other people say, isn't it amazing? You can get a toaster, it's so cheap, it works, it won't kill you. <laughs> I mean, different conclusions you can draw, but I think that Thomas Thwaites' 
toaster is a wonderful starting point for that conversation. So let's say you continue to be the chief curator of the Museum of the Economy, and we solicited submissions from listeners. Um, Want to get your thoughts on some of these suggestions? Yeah, go for it. So a couple of people said, giant stone money from the Yap Islands in the Pacific. These were like giant discs carved out of limestone that were used as money at first, and then eventually people didn't actually trade these discs around. They just kept a mental ledger of, like, who is the owner of the disc when they needed to get paid. I mean, it's fantastic, and it's it seems completely crazy, and then you think about how gold was used in economies with a gold standard. Mm. You know, the gold is in a vault somewhere. The gold never actually moves. All that we move is pieces of paper referring to ownership of the gold. So, yeah, thumbs up for that one. Great. Uh, so a few people actually suggested an empty glass case, which represents the, quote, invisible hand. Uh, This famous metaphor used by the economist Adam Smith in his book, The Wealth of Nations, to describe how merchants acting in their own self-interest could actually benefit the public interest. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) it's not a conceptual art gallery, right? Mm. Um, And by the way, Smith never really used the invisible hand metaphors. Or he did, but not in the way that we use it today. I don't mean to be negative, but no. Thumbs down for that one. <laughs> okay, last one. Uh, one person just said, pet rocks. I was around for the pet rock phase, but I wasn't paying any attention whatsoever. I had no interest whatsoever in pet rocks. But yeah, I think as a museum exhibition, it is interesting. The power of marketing. Yeah, pet rocks are in. You know, Tim, I, I think we got the blueprint for an educational and awe-inspiring museum of the economy. So uh, deep-pocketed philanthropists, if you're listening, get in touch. You know where to find me. Oh, and I uh, meant to ask, does the Museum of Economy, does it have a gift shop? Oh, of course it has a gift shop. <laughs> I think PJ O'Rourke once said that you can tell how well-developed an economy is by how quickly it vacuums money out of your wallet. <laughs> so we've got to give it a try with a gift shop. Tim Harford, thanks for coming on The Indicator. Always a pleasure. Special thanks to our listeners who submitted their ideas for the Museum of the Economy. This episode was produced by Julia Ritchie with engineering by Maggie Luthar. It was fact-checked by Sierra Juarez. Cake and Cannon edits the show, and The Indicator's a production of NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts.